water spigots, with brown, evil-smelling water trickling out, provided for whole blocks of homes. Oh, evil to him whom evil drinks! People clogged our path, all dirty, all ill-clothed, all poorly shod, if shod at all. They were sitting, drinking, staggering, limping, stumbling along, sleeping, clinging to one another, or falling down. Some sang hymns, others sang vulgar songs. They talked to others or themselves. Mothers clutched naked children to their breasts, while other children, barefooted, followed as best they could. For despite the hour, there was many a hollow-cheeked child upon the street, playing with bits of crockery or oyster shells. Indeed, among the throngs there were more children than adults, yet plenty of old folk too, in every stage of decrepitude, hands or feet bandaged, many on makeshift crutches. What young and old had in common were bleary-eyed looks of hunger and an air of hopeless neglect and abject misery. Many continually wept, as though their reservoirs of grief were infinite. Was there nothing healthy? I did see numbers of dogs and cats and rats. The rats, actually, looked fat and sleek. It was as if all London were a stone, and here was what lay beneath. "'Come on,' said Sari, giving me a yank on the sleeve, for I'd been just standing there, agape. She seemed not in the least taken aback. In a daze I followed, as she made a sharp turn down an alley so disgusting and narrow that I might have touched the walls if I'd spread out my arms, which I was loath to do. As it was, I stumbled twice in the dark, but did not want to know over what. Sari kept me moving. I would have been lost otherwise, more than lost, swallowed whole. Steps down, she cautioned. We entered a low room at basement level, dirt floor, lit by one small smoky lamp. If I'd been any taller, I'd have had to stoop. The air was dank, smelling of too many bodies pressed into too small a space, of tobacco, of filth. I counted some twenty people, appearing no different from those on the streets, a thoroughly wretched lot of old and young, men, women, and children. A few looked up with glazed eyes. "'Brought me friend John,' Sari announced. "'John, this is me family.' "'Pleased,' I managed to say, though I wasn't, "'to meet you.' No response, no greeting." Whether they were not pleased, or, more likely, not caring, I didn't know. Sari took up the lamp with her free hand, and, pulling me along by my jacket, guided us over many a body. At the far side of the room we entered an alcove, which had a ragged curtain drawn across its front. "'Here we are,' Sari said. "'Me home, sweet home!' A cubicle, hardly more than four feet by four, with something like a shelf against an oozing back wall. In one corner, a bunched coverlet. A bed, I guessed. Nothing else. "'Pretty good,' said Sari. "'Ain't it?' "'Is this where you... live?' I asked. "'I only pay sixpence a week for it,' she said. "'So it's all mine, cos I make the most money in this place.' "'Does someone own it?' 
Some say it's Lord Silverbridge. Might be Prince Albert for all I care. I pays it to an agent who comes regular as the full moon. Except there are plenty of times I can't see the moon, but I always sees him. Siri, are those people out there truly your family? No, just call them that. They likes me well enough, and it's better to feel near somebody, I suppose. Go on, she said. Sit down. I did. She sat next to me and blew out the lamp. Why did you do that? Saves the odd penny, she said. And most pennies I get are odd. Settling into the dark, she drew the coverlet round both our shoulders. Snug then, she said, All right, we've got to make a plan about what to do. I need to know something first. What's that? Are you still working for Bridget O'Doole?